break and I have nothing. It's episode six of the Owls AmeriCast, Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American accent. We're at full strength again this week as our extra extra large captain has recovered from his large weekend. Patty Jones, Patty, how are you doing? Oh wow, straight off the bat, that is not fair whatsoever. Look, you're I the one that reference. was like posting in WhatsApp about how the kit didn't fit you. <laughs> that is the cruelest open I've ever had in any kind of uh, podcast or any kind of recording. But thank you, Jeff. Yes, is referring to my extremely tight, tight T-shirts I had from uh, Sheffield Wednesday. It is a large, apparently, uh, but I'm not sure a large what. Maybe a large. Um, Ken doll from Barbie. Patty, what but, are you yeah, drinking thanks, this week? Oh, so, yes, I am drinking the most hipster of all hipster beers. Uh, it is apparently the original sour ale, which I know sour is the trendiest beer. But not only is it uh, that's the trendiest, the original sour is also um, aged in oak fedoras. You know, like the fedora hats. Really? I think that's, I think that's what it says, anyway. It says fodas, fodas, fodas. Anyway, I'm going to go, I'm going to think it's the fedora hat. So it's basically a hipster beer brewed in a fedora hat. Our Ohio owl is coming <laughs> off a <laughs> celebratory <laughs> bender of his own. Evan's... With a deep inhale. <laughs> Evan Skilter, Evan, what are you drinking? I have the Great Lakes Elliott Ness Amber Lager. It's named after the American Prohibition agent, famous for his efforts to enforce prohibition in Chicago, bringing down Al Capone. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of a, an interesting paradox, I guess, to name a, an amber logger after Elliot Ness, but there it is. Based on the photos posted in our WhatsApp, the man in the medium jersey, James Allen. James, what are you drinking? I'm still trying to get out of my shirt, Jeff. Um, it's, uh, it's so tight a fit. It's like it's shrink wrapped. Um, I'm drinking a, uh, a, a local beer, actually. It's a collaboration brew from, um, Kings County Brewers and Rockaway, uh, who are my uh, my local brewery, called uh, Strictly Platonic. Uh, it's a um, it's a, an imperial stout, um, and it's uh, it's gone down way too easy. So I'm uh, I'm about to open up can number two. So this could get interesting as we get further into the pod. And our man too tall for any of the available sizes in the Wednesday shop, Paulo. And Paul, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm so bored of this international break, I've taken to drinking Old Spice. So I'm onto my third litre now, and that's running at about 14% alcohol. Like the body spray? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. The, the cologne. Yeah. I think you call it cologne over here. So not, low, no, low not really. I'm not not really. I'm actually drinking a, a Mikola, um IPA from San Diego in a very, very cool can. And it, that is running at uh, not, not far off Old Spice. It's um, 7.3%, I've just noticed. So I best be careful. I don't know what everyone's complaining about. My small home jersey arrived in the mail today, and it fits me fine. And I'm drinking uh, Amaro Montenegro. It's a traditional Amaro from Bologna, Italy. And uh, made over using 40 herbs, 
prominently uh, vanilla and orange peel. Jeff, you have the frame of an asthmatic girl, so I'm not surprised any shirt fits you fine. I, I mean, put on it's... 10 pounds like in the last year, Patty, and all I know is it still fits fine. So well, I have also put on 10 pounds in the last year. My shirt does not fit me fine. I, mean, there's I don't three, think there's... that's entirely fair either, Paddy. You ever see Jeff trying to squeeze into a book to uh, retro Wednesday away shirt? I have not. <laughs> Once I get it over my head, it's fine. It's just it's very like tight around the collar. We have figured out, haven't we, that we've got a kind of a Noel Edmonds swap shop thing going on because I'm I'm very big, Paddy's big, James is is very very um what should we say lithe. So we maybe we can all <laughs> share, swap shop our shirts. I, I prefer James's description than my description. To be fair, Paul, can I go lithe instead? <laughs> I'm not sure. Is lithe a description of physical form or physical behavior? I, I have know. no idea. Oh, I, I don't want to take that as a blessing or a curse, Paul. Thank you. Paddy's a big bugger. I feel like there's a few working theories here. Either A, the only sizes that are screwed up are large and up. B, the quality Watch control it. on these shirts are not as good as you might expect from a company that delivered them three months late. Or C, Paddy needs a new scale. I will, I will reiterate the fact so that I have a large shirt from last season which fits me fine to this day. So it is not me or my gut, however large it may be, it is the size of the shirts. For scientific purposes, I did put my shirt this year up against my shirt from last year, and it's basically slightly narrower and a little bit longer. So do you want to hear the really boring reason why all these shirt sizes are messed up? Go ahead. I'm going to ask you a, a deliberately boring but but slightly provocative question. Have you ever heard of a fit model? A what? <laughs> no, no, no one on this podcast qualifies. <laughs> a thick model. Hey, hey there we go. So, uh, so anybody who, uh, who works in fashion will know what I'm talking about. So basically every, every fashion brand has literally a person that they use for their sizing of their, uh, of their garments. So uh, you'll probably notice if you go down you know, one, one store on the high street or, uh, or your um, your Main Street USA equivalent, you'll uh, you'll find one brand where the t-shirts fit you really nicely, another one where they're baggy as shit. So um, basically, what that means is when they're designing their uh, their templates before they uh, they go to production, they have a guy or a girl who they run their sizes off, and they use their physical frame to uh, to make decisions about what the, the reference sizing is. Um, so whoever Sondico had was clearly uh, kind of Paddy esque in terms <laughs> of their uh, their form, and they uh, they ran their small and their large and their medium off that. This year, it sounds, Jeff, like you're the, uh, whoever the hell it is that's actually made our shirt behind uh, Elevate, you're the fit model. So um, it's you that's my Australian the entire Wednesday fan base getting stuck in their, uh, in their new shirts. I think due to the uh, uh, time constraints, they just threw it over a twig and hope for the best. I'm very happy with the fit, actually, I have to say. Even more so speaking than the last of, couple of years. Speaking of time constraints, hasn't Twitter talked about this enough? God, no. well, I mean, the alternative, Evan, is we talk about the international break. Oh, oh yes. thank you, Evan. It's been fantastic, hasn't it? Are we done talking about that? Can we move on? We should cover a few things briefly. Uh, <laughs> we've already mentioned at the outset that Evan's Louisville City FC won the USL Championship over Swope Park Rangers. There'll be more on that later in Dispatches from American Soccer. But, uh... Evan, just some general introductory thoughts. 
Uh, yeah, the match wasn't very good, to be honest with you. It was a bit disappointing, uh, for, especially for a final in front of a sellout crowd in Louisville. They don't sell out very often. Um, but at the end of the day, Louisville scored. Cameron Lancaster had a, a header at the end. Uh, I think it was the 87th or 88th minute when he scored it. So uh, I went mental. Uh, my wife went mental at me going mental. She was not too pleased because it was a late night game. And um, Overall, exciting that, that Louisville's won. And, uh, you know, I, I found out they've been to the semifinal or the final in all three years of their existence. So uh, quite a good start to the franchise. Franchise, you hate that word. Buying the league. Yeah. In equally exciting international break news, Paul, your son bagged a brace this weekend. Yeah, he did. Very proud of him. He's uh, he's, he's eight years old. He plays for the Brooklyn Italians, uh, which which interestingly is the oldest um, established uh, footy club in the city in the five boroughs. Uh, I was just saying that. It's, yeah, really, not really a traditional, aren't they? Really, um, really. Oh well yeah. Known. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of history behind it that uh, basically all of the nationalities uh, kind of post-war established football clubs. So you had the Poles, you had the Italians, you had the Brits, uh, the Irish, um, and the Italians still exist. So he's lucky enough to kind of get a game out there in the uh, in the under-8s. Uh, yeah, as uh, you say, Jeff, he, he bagged a, a brace again. He's the highest scorer. He got a hat-trick the week before. Um, I might post it actually on Twitter if anyone's interested. But his second one was an absolute worldie, and I think J- James, you said it, he looked waddle-esque in his form because he does tower over everybody. He's a foot taller than anyone else on the field. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Definitely I, I noticed that I picked Dave, uh, Waddle and not Dave there, Paul. You know, I'm, I'm trying to uh, yeah. give you give you some some gentle encouragement there. I see his potential, not his uh, his limitations. Well, oh, I appreciate that. That's not really fair to Big Dave because he bagged a uh, winner for Kosovo this past weekend. Did he? Yay! Good for him. <laughs> Tumble. I think he Tumble. scored more goals for Kosovo than he has for us in the last year. But right, you mean he scored? Was he a header? Uh, I, I honestly, somebody posted the video online. I didn't look at it. I think it was uh, at his feet, but it was the game winner, though, wasn't it? Like the four-three win. Four-three win, either. yes. Yeah, okay. Good on him. At least against some football. He's not even really featuring for the under-23s, which you'd think they have available time there, especially with uh, the George Hurst contract situation being whatever it is. I just assume uh, he's just living in Kosovo now, because that's all the time he posts on social media is when he's with the Kosovo team. He's there have been barely... a lot of international breaks, to be fair. Yeah, he might as well just live over there. It's actually a really good question, isn't it? Where is Dave? Have we have we actually seen him anywhere near Hillsborough in the last? He made the, uh, the didn't he make 10, the bench? He made the bench uh, a couple of weeks ago. Did he? I mean, this isn't this isn't yeah. a complaint. I'm not I'm not uh, agitating and saying that we should have New Who back on the bench uh, and anything but. But um, you know, if he's not around the squad and he's not playing, I mean, we've we've got to kind of hope that maybe his he's inspiring performances for Kosovo are putting him in the shop window for a move to uh, I don't know. Tbilisi in the uh, in the new year. Red, I know Tbilisi is not Star, in Kosovo, it's the first place I can think of it's in Eastern Europe. In less exciting news, England had two nil-nil draws. Yeah, that was pretty rubbish, wasn't it? Um, I've got to be honest, I didn't watch a single second of either of the two utterly boring games that they uh, they turned out for. Um, I mean, England are just a really boring full stop, to be honest. Um, 
I mean, it's bad enough when they're actually in competitive games and trying to qualify for World Cups, but to have two friendlies at this stage in the season is just uh, its a complete waste of time, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, uh, I was i was really excited coming off the uh, the game with Villa, and I've been basically twiddling my thumbs for the last two weeks waiting for us to get going again. So, um, yeah, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't care less about England right now. Speaking of nil-nil draws, probably the biggest upset of the World Cup UEFA playoffs, Sweden advanced over Italy the nil-nil result at the San Siro after winning in Sweden 1-0 on an own goal. God, it's... I mean, if you looked at the playoffs, right, there, there are a lot of nil-nils. I mean, in one in one all of the other legs, they were pretty much all 0-0s. And then, apart from the Denmark-Island uh, game, which I will to drink because it's hilarious, Ireland went to 1-0 at home. The Irish are optimistic. Then they <laughs> proceeded to ship five goals. Yeah. <laughs> And for thrashing at home and knocking out of the World Cup from Denmark. So, uh, and the, even the ultimate of all insults, uh, Nicholas Bentner scores against them in the 19th minute. <laughs> it is literally the worst thing that can happen to you. Yeah, he's really rubbing salt in the wounds. Uh, but yeah, Italy are out. Uh, who else are out? Oh yeah, that uh, team from the USA. Apparently, they're out too. Um, Australia came through last night. Um, obviously, everyone's talking about Buffon, and it's basically his last game, and he's not going to go to the World Cup. Boo effing who who really cares I mean yeah I can, I, I can, I'm surprised to see him playing he's so old I couldn't believe he was still the Italian goalie yeah, do you know it's him. interesting Paul a friend of mine tweeted actually and I, I, it really resonated with me he said he's like he's one of the last players that really kind of connects from our era of when we were kids right. he's absolutely dead right right Buffon was playing when I was <laughs> when I was still playing in school uh, yeah. it's incredible that he's, he's gone on this long I will say that I have a friend in Sweden who sent me the uh, the translation of the radio call after Sweden won. I'm sure everyone's seen the YouTube video of them absolutely destroying the Swedish TV set. But this is the translation of the radio call. It is over. Sweden will play World Cup in Russia. Sweden will play World Cup in Russia. Hello, Moscow. Hello, Russian bears and the Trans-Siberian Railway. Hello, heavy industry and beautiful rivers. Hello, hope in full gallop towards the big and mighty championship. We will go there with Jan's lads, those who make tigers of snails, jewels out of gravel, and turn dreams into reality. Hello, 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 World Cup. I wish, I wish you could see me right now. My, my jaw just dropped. That was so beautiful. It was. And I think that uh, I think the World Cup's a better place when Zlatan has a chance to play in it. Yeah, I think that international retirement's going to be short-lived. I hope right. so. He did t- tweet out something like, this is Sweden. With a Z instead of an S, oh, the picture geez. of the entire team with him not in it, which I'm pretty sure <laughs> is going to be. He's coming back. You can you can say what you want about Zlatan, but he's a master digital marketer. Yes, yes. He, he, he knows social media, and this is Sweden. <laughs> Perfect. And he has exactly mm-hmm. as much pace as he did when he was 25, anyway. So he'll be top goal scorer, mm. golden boot. So that's your international break review, such as it is. Move on to actual Wednesday news, uh, and there isn't much, but. There was a, I think, are we up to an eight-part series now on the website? We're actually up to a nine-part series. Is it series. nine now of the yeah, Ask the a... Chairman? So you obviously, you, we talked about this in the show a couple of weeks ago. You submit questions to Sheffield Wednesday to have Delphine Chanziri answer them on the website. I'm sure, you know, carefully culled. So James, can you briefly summarize the never-ending story that is Ask the Chairman on the Sheffield Wednesday website? Uh, in a word, Jeff, no, because uh, it, 
goes on forever. So I, uh, I, would, I mean, to be fair, I mean, there's not much else to do on the international break. So I've been, uh, I've been diligently reading the daily, uh, the daily updates that have been coming out of the club. And, and I mean, I'm joking. We're up to part nine. I, I guess we should probably expect somewhere parts ten and uh, and twelve before we uh, before we get to the weekend. Um, but actually, I mean, if if you for those people who haven't been at the steering groups over the last um, over the last kind of I don't know year or so. There's actually a huge amount of information that, to be fair, has has probably disseminated from from you know the, the good work that various fans who have been at those meetings have done by uh, by sharing on social media and so on. But it actually is in in the club voice for the first time, and and you know they've taken the time to really work through a a pretty extensive series of questions. And, and all joking aside, I think I heard somewhere that they they got forty separate questions, so maybe we should expect forty updates. Um, but so far, they've covered you know a huge range of of topics right, coming from. You know, the uh, the kit debacle, which we touched on earlier on, uh, decisions around the, the commercial operation, decision to bring the catering in-house, um, you know, kind of the, the way in which the uh, the ticket pricing is, is set up in, in the club. And that's obviously a you know, very controversial subject, uh, particularly today, as, um, as there's a lot of discussion about the price of football back in the UK. Um, but also some of the things that maybe, you know, haven't been touched on so, so heavily publicly, such as player recruitment and, the, you know, the role that various partners have um, in scouting. And, and, and concluding transfers as well. So there's a lot of information out there, which you know whether it's the chairman himself who's writing it, or whether it's uh, you know it's, it's as I said in the voice of the club is is pretty direct at least in terms of setting the record straight on a few issues. And and there's probably a few that are worth unpacking actually because you know what they do do is I think they put a lot of the kind of the hyperbole that the fan base has has managed to create on social media over the last six months to a degree to bed. Um, you know whether you agree or disagree with their position, they have actually stated their position in black and white, and and we at least know where they stand on those things. So we'll start with some of the discussion around squad turnover. Patty, what's your thoughts on that? <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting very distracted. We've just discovered that we can all write at the same time in the Google Doc for our agenda, so it's kind of a bit crazy in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, okay. Sorry, back on track. Squad turnover. Yeah. So I had a look at this uh, one of the um, ask the chairman. Uh, pieces. It's about obviously uh, selling uh, our players some of the kind of dead wood. I'm going to close this <laughs> this document down so I can't see what you're writing about me. Um... <laughs> uh, so childish. So Dayfan goes in to answer this question around basically why aren't, why aren't selling players that kind of stuff. Uh, it seems to me that he's obviously a very sensible man. He doesn't sound like he's a risk taker at all. Uh, in fact, I go as far as saying he's risk averse. You talked about a lot about um, kind of having two players in each positions, which uh, Carlos has said over and over again too. Uh, and he's very firm in his belief, obviously, that he wants two for each position. Uh, he also talks about like um, the transfer system, moaning about that, about basically how there's at, at least always three parties involved, like obviously the club and the player and the other club. Um, so he's, he's kind of been burned, I believe, by like, agents and clubs in the past, spanning around and doesn't appear to have the need or time for selling players that he doesn't need to sell. So it comes across quite negative on the whole kind of transfer policy stuff, which is really interesting, I thought. Uh, but something that's pretty cut and dry, uh, he's not going like, to uh, sell uh, anyone unless we desperately need to, or it's something that's kind of uh, very kind of uh, an easy sell, almost. He'd rather save him for a rainy day or kind of injury apocalypse. I think too at this point, if you look at it, I think we've, uh, I think we have remarked on this in recent weeks. It's not, 
as deep a squad as it was at the beginning of the season just through injuries, like at this point, who are you really going to sell? It, it, it just doesn't want to sell it. It doesn't need to sell people. You'd rather let them rot in the reserves or in Kosovo in the New Year's case. So, it, which is probably worse than reserves. So, yeah, I just I don't think he's really um, that bothered. He doesn't want the, the hassle. Obviously, he hasn't got a lot of resource to handle this. So, I feel like it's coming on his desk and he's just going to put in the kind of like deal with later pile. Wasn't there, there was a comment that um, he'd said that he. You know, he he likes everybody to you know to stick around. You know, building the club like a family for his family. You know, and you know, having this deeper squad and like we say, just leaving people in the the under twenty threes or oblivion. You know, uh, it, it's kind of an interesting kind of issue because isn't isn't the whole strength of a manager the ability to kind of move people on? You think about Ferguson with, you know, some of the best players in the world and moving them on and moving them on and, you know, keeping that sense of competition and keeping the players on their toes. And, you know, the, you know have we got this kind of air of, co- you know, comfort in a lot of our players, long contracts, no one's going anywhere, won't sell anybody, no threat of selling anybody. You know, is that a part of the, uh, the kind of apathy almost in some of our performances? I think it's different at this level versus the Premier League too. Um, I think there is some value in, in continuity year over year. And just the the pricing structure for transfers is so bizarre as well. It's like, I think, sort of, you look at who he's brought in on sort of smaller fees. Like, you know, Marco Matias costs more than Fernando Forestieri. It's just, it's a weird setup. And I think part of his reluctance in the in the transfer market right now, especially at this level, the transfer market just can be wacky. Unless you have a Premier League team coming in for one of your players, like, you know, you have somebody coming in for Burnley coming in for Chris Wood. You know, if as we've talked about before on the show, if someone like Brighton comes in for Gary Hooper in January, you know, then you can kind of look at it. But, it, you know, you're really going to be looking at selling in the division, and I don't think that's something they want to do right now, given the sort of competition for playoff spots. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, Paul, that's a really good point as well about um, about apathy. I think it, if, if people do feel comfortable because they're not really being threatened by moving on, it could explain some of the performances we've had this season too. So, definitely a great point to make. The home kits are out, at least one of the three so far, uh, and they have started arriving in our mailboxes across the country. I think everyone that's ordered one has one so far. Now we discussed it a little bit at the outset. Um, what's our verdict on the shirt? Other than it doesn't fit anyone except me, apparently. I think quality is great. I got mine um, ripped out of the bag. Really, really like the embroidery on the uh, the one fifty year badge. It's fantastic. You know, I like like the fact that the chancery mark is kind of printed into the fabric. You know, I like the little touches, I like the the wire wire on there. It's very excited. You know, it feels good. The, the side vent materials, you know, different and stuff like that. Really nice. Pulled it on, just couldn't get it over my belly. <laughs> it just, it, I, I showed it to, me, I showed it to my son. He just, his face just went, oh, you know. I, I took it off immediately. I did look like a, like a beached whale. Which are you still proposing that... that somebody else is going to take that shirt off your hands, Paul? <laughs> It's yes. me. I'm the uh, I'm the kind of like younger brother in this situation where I'm getting Paul's hand me downs. Uh, there we go. I'm gonna have to wash it now. Aren't I? That, that swap shop idea is out the water now. 
I'll have, to throw in, I'll, have to th- I'll have to throw in a game of uh, Kaplunk or something with it. <laughs> <laughs> they are really... I mean, I'm, I'm going to back you up, Paul. They're, they're really nice shirts, they are aren't they? They are really nice. I mean, I've got like to say... The detailing I mean, the, is great. Detailing yep. is fantastic. The quality of, of the material... I mean, I know everyone was sort of very sceptical before it came out, but, you know, from a sports kind of apparel and, and kind of athletic wear point of view, they, they feel like they're the real deal. So... Um, I'm not sure that's really a valid concern anymore. Um, the sizing, yeah, I get that, but um, but the quality of the the shirt that's come comes through the mailbox, even though it doesn't actually fit me, is uh, is very nice. The other thing I noticed is I, I don't know if I've ever seen a sponsor hand embroidered or machine embroidered, you know, onto a, a kind of a, a breast position like that. Small, you know, it's very unique, uh, very very well done. But but I don't think I've ever seen a sponsor kind of embroidered into a shirt like that. Well, it's also the maker of this shirt too, isn't it? It's <laughs> that's the weird thing. It might elevate, right? Elevates the, the embroidery. Energy the drink company, yes. Yeah, I think we just need to be careful with terminology. They are they are definitely the brand of the maker. But I think to uh, to call them the maker party might be giving them slightly <laughs> right. more credibility as a yeah. uh, as an operational entity than they are today. I've just got exactly. this image of a factory where on one line you've got making energy drinks and the other line you're making football shirts. I mean, it's a perfect marriage. <laughs> Somehow it still did a better job than Sports Direct. Another popular topic within the Ask the Chairman segment was the Wednesday social media presence. Evan, your thoughts? Yeah, Chancery came out. He was very honest. He just basically said, "Look, social media is okay, criticism's okay, uh, but but you can't get personal." Um, and it actually he kind of made it sound like he was talking to uh, to twelve year olds, you know, about social media etiquette. And I think, in a way, that's that's sort of necessary after some of the comments I've I've read on social media from some fans. So we've seen that guy called um, Owens Day. He's really bad. Oh, uh, he's the worst. He always gets into. <laughs> Yeah. spats with uh, with journalists and such. I, know. I, I blocked him today. <laughs> Did you actually? No, Evan, because it's me, mate. <laughs> Which would be quite interesting. But, uh, yeah, basically, I mean, at the end there, he said, I do not think that personally disrespectful comments are helpful to anyone. Opinions are absolutely fine. No problem, positive or negative. But when certain comments cross the line and are personal or incorrect... I do not agree and would simply say, how would you feel if it was said about you or your family? And I know that he's had some uh, some issues with people uh, tweeting uh, or contacting his family on social media as well. So I think that's kind of a touchy subject for DC, and, and I think that he was absolutely right in what he said. I mean, to be, fan, to be fair, the fan base can be right assholes when, you know, ah, when, we're, when we're winning, let alone when, you know, we lose I actually did three or four or something like that. Instagram. Yeah. He's talking about me. He's talking about me on Instagram. I, uh, <laughs> Trying to uh, track him down uh, in the city. Yeah, they posted a picture outside, basically my house in Weehawk and uh, of the skyline of New York City when over the summer. And I uh, messaged them on Instagram and said, "Hey, uh, I'm Paddy from the New York Owls. Fancy a cup of tea?" Uh, and they'd never heard a response. That's clearly me. He's talking about the hassling his family. So sorry, Mister um, Chancery. I will never do it again. One of the other sort of major talking points around the club this season has been who exactly is in charge here, James? Yeah, I, I actually found this 
possibly the uh, the most interesting thing that's come out in this uh, in this long litany of uh, of expose so far simply because it's not something i've heard spoken about uh, directly at the steering group i wasn't at the last steering group but um but it's been much speculated about which is the actual structure the management structure of the club uh, from an operational standpoint and and from a governance standpoint and and i think one of the criticisms that's been reasonably openly aired is that obviously since mr chancery has come in he um He's taken a very, very hands-on role in terms of the day-to-day running of the club and decision-making, um, you know, which he obviously, as the club owner, is, is perfectly entitled to do. Uh, but traditionally, you might see in, in, a, in a normal corporate entity a, um, a relationship between the chairman, the owner, and then a, you know, an appointed chief executive whose responsibility is the, the management of the enterprise. And, and obviously, we don't have a CEO. We have a COO uh, in Joe Palmer, who oversees the commercial side of, of, of the organization. But Chan Siri has, has responded directly to, to that challenge in, in, I think, one of the earlier posts, actually, where he, you know, he sort of took the criticism directly and, and made the point that Ultimately, you know, people either report in directly to him or directly to Joe Palmer. He, you know, he he devolves responsibility to those parts of the organisation, but he he takes a very hands-on role in terms of financial matters, and he, and he believes that's his his right and purview as an owner. Um, he did point out that he's put a a financial director in place to to oversee uh, financial decision making when he's not in the country, which is encouraging. Um, but I think that there was also a hint in his response that he's open to evolving that structure as as the club matures and as his relationship with the club matures. And I think that's actually a very encouraging sign because uh, certainly if we're to to make progress in some of the areas that I think have been identified that we need to, such as um, you know the uh, learning from from the kid experience, bringing that in house, many of the other in house operations, th- there's probably going to be a need to to relook at the way in which the management structure works within the club, and, and that probably extends to the playing and 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 player recruitment side of things as well. So, so possibly some indicators of of an evolving position there. We'll move now. Apparently, I'm just reading the agenda out loud to myself. The uh, under twenty three development squad, which we've briefly touched on already in the show. Had a good result this week against our Steel City rivals. At least, I think in part, they started several first-team players. But that's still a good result, Evan. Yeah, yeah, it was a 2-1 victory for Wednesday, and, and that's pretty big, especially against our rival. And actually, just a couple of days ago, we beat Huddersfield 2-0. And so, you know, in the last two matches, the U23s have been able to do something that uh, the the senior squad hasn't, and that's beat Huddersfield, which was disappointing last season in the playoff, and then uh, a big victory against United, which you know if you can call them bragging rights, we'll take them um, after after the Derby City or Derby City, excuse me, Steel City debacle uh, earlier this year. And we are well clear at the top of the PDL two table, Paul. Yeah, we are. I didn't even know it was called that, to be honest. Um, They've changed it, it like is. three or four times in the last decade, yeah, I feel like. Right, right. Yeah, me too. You know, But it's U23's PDL. And uh, yes, I mean, the, the other thing to, to know, we are at the top, but it is split to north and south as well. So we are the top of the north, just to clarify that. Um, Cock of the north. The kings of the north. King at North, Sheffield reigning over Hull in second place, then Forest and Barnsley, then United, which is good. See him down in fifth. I'm not sure that Birmingham should be in the North either. I would debate that. Birmingham's not in the North. That's nonsense. They are. Exactly. No, no, no. no. They're they're definitely a Southern team. I know. And it's good to see Huddersfield just scraping the bottom in the 11th. But um, (laughs) just a quick look at the South. 
uh, Queen's Park in uh, top and Bristol City at the bottom. Coventry City, do you remember them? Do you remember them? They used to be, they used to be a big rival, didn't they? My God, it's been a slow week, hasn't it? <laughs> it really hasn't. South, South, South PDL two South Division. PDL PDL. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here drunk on Old Spice, reading out the results, getting excited that Coventry third place in the PDL South. Can we just end this podcast? Here? <laughs> can, we just stop the can you do I the? Can you do the full like teletext a voice for us, Paul? Place. I need a map. No. no <laughs> Hold on, is Paul sitting there shirtless, drunk, drinking old spice? <laughs> on a bed. Shirtless, I'm bouncing on the bed, I've been banished here by the doctors. I'm drinking beer that's way too strong for me for midweek, and I'm reading out PDR results. Come on, let's just get on with the weekend. What the hell just happened? <laughs> All I know is there's one other note here before we can actually take a break. Yeah, and it just yeah, says, yeah, yeah. It just says, Good. ground staff vacancy at Hillsborough for Jeff, in parentheses, Evan. But it says my name next to it, so I'm supposed to read it. Thanks for stealing my thunder. Oh. Anyway, I'm the uh, host here. I just sort of tee up these topics. <laughs> I think. Nah, we, are, we are spiky in Ohio tonight, aren't we? Based we on are. the uh, is, based on the wonderful intro, Jeff. It sounds like this could be something for you. Um, Full time ground staff position. The Sheffield Wednesday are recruiting for an energetic and enthusiastic grounds person. I think that's you, who has a determined, flexible, and positive attitude. Jeff, this you, fits you. This fits you perfectly. Not me, one bit. People, um, people are I randomly got... leaving flyers for landscaping on my car in my driveway. So that tells you what the state of my front lawn is right now. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> bad. But personal quality, does, personal qualities desired. Able to work alone and as Definitely. part of a team. Sure. Yes. Willingness to work in all weather conditions. Must possess a positive attitude. Flexible yeah. approach. To meet the nature and demands of the business and flexibility with working hours. You must have a strong sense of responsibility and teamwork with excellent communication skills. I'm recording at 10 o'clock at night, so I'm pretty good with flexible working hours. There you go. You've got a a leaf blower as well, Jeff. A very big pole. Your pole. You can take your pole with you. (laughs) Bring your own rake. uh, They'd love love your pole at Hillsborough. Guys, 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 that is Wednesday news. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Hey, hey, hey. On. Now we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to our West Virginia owl about how he became a Wednesdayite. Our whirlwind tour of North America continues this week with a trip to West Virginia and our West Virginia owl, Joshua Arthurs. Josh, we'll start with the same question we start with every week. How did you become a Wednesdayite? Uh, excellent question. Thank you guys for having me on. Um, so uh, I guess I sort of fall in between the, you know, the two categories you guys often talk about of expats and Americans. Uh, in that I'm, a, uh, I'm, I'm I was born and raised in in Toronto and have you know lived my pretty much my whole life in in North America. Um, but uh, my mother is from Sheffield, um, and so uh, I basically you know grew grew up with Wednesday as part of my I guess my family heritage. Um, I was very close to uh, her father, my grandfather. 
um, who who introduced me to Wednesday and really made me a, a kind of you know a, an owl. Um, and so I I've, I've been following Wednesday now since uh, since I was a little kid since the early 1980s, uh, and I've seen a lot of changes over the years. Um, uh, but it's something that's always been near and dear to me. I think especially because of the kind of family connection, the emotional connection, and now it's something that, you know, I've passed on to my kids. It's a terrible thing to bestow on a child. Exactly. It's a true curse. <laughs> Where in Sheffield was she from, uh, Josh? Um, she, lived, I, I, uh, she lived on Charles Ashmore Road. If you know where that is, it's near a big, you know, my memories because it was so long ago, near a very big park. The roadhouse is on a very big park. Um, uh, I I didn't go to Sheffield a lot as a kid because by the time I was sort of old enough to remember, my parents had, um, I mean, sorry, my grandparents had moved to the New Forest, um, uh, not far from Salisbury um, in the south. And so that was where I, I saw them most of the time. New Forest sounds like something out of Lord of the Rings. I'm sure the Americans on the call are going, what the yep. fuck is New Forest? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, frankly, it, it does look like somewhere hobbits would live. It's sort of, you know, rolling hills and wild ponies and, uh, you know, it's a, a pretty area. Wait, wait hey, what, wild ponies? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Classic all, uh, Rolling all... Stones song. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Amazing. Exactly. Wow. Less, <laughs> less well-known B-side. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know it's a lovely area, but uh, but I have, I mean, subsequently, I, I I used to go to Sheffield when I was very little, and then um, I've I've been back uh, over the years mainly to go to Hillsborough. So, cool. Um, yeah. I see it was your granddad that got you mainly into it. So, was he um, uh, from Sheffield and living in Sheffield, or was he over in Toronto with you when you moved over? Oh, so he was living, He was he was in 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 Sheffield. Um, he uh, 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 he's. I think I think he was originally from Rotherham, um, but certainly his whole uh, adult life he lived in Sheffield, um, and that's where my mum grew up. Um, and and so my grandparents uh, were were over in the UK, and I would I would uh, travel maybe once a year over the summer to see them. Um, and then I would, you know, this was still back in the day of, of, of mailing letters back and forth. Uh, I, have a, I have a big stack of letters from him. Um, and so he would send me uh, little notes about Wednesday. He'd send me football magazines. Uh, and, uh, and so I sort of got my education long distance, really. Dear Joshua, we were shit again this week. Exactly. <laughs> well, back then, tell you the truth, back then we weren't so sure. Shit. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you know, it was a better it was a better time, um, and cer- and and certainly the uh, the the Wednesday when I really kind of became conscious of Wednesday and really a very active fan um, was in the mid eighties. Uh, we for a little while we moved uh, back to to England to be closer to my grandparents. Um, and I was living in London, um, and uh, at that point, you know, I was, I think I was nine years old, ten years old, and, uh, uh, you know, I'd be playing in the park, and we lived um, actually pretty close to Stamford Bridge, to the Chelsea ground, and every little boy in the park had to wear their full-on kit, 
while they're kicking the ball around and had to kind of declare their allegiances. Um, and so all the kids around me were, were wearing Chelsea kits or Fulham kits, but I knew from the get-go that I had to, I had to represent Wednesday. So uh, we, we somehow found, I think my first Wednesday kit was, uh, uh, especially uh, for, for the, you know, the Brits might remember this, the, the, it's kind of the silver one with the purple and white, Pinstripes. Whoa, that's that's a you classic can, now. You can't find that yeah. less than like three hundred bucks online. Right. So you could find you could you could. Uh, I, I have one. You know, again, uh, an appropriate size for a nine-year-old boy. <laughs> um, uh, so I, 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 it was that side of the mid '80s that had just been promoted. It was that you know, Her, uh, Howard Wilkinson uh, side of '84, '85, um, and they had several good years. Uh, that you know that built up ultimately to the, you know the glory days of the early nineties. So, um, do you still have the shirt? That's the first the most important yes. question. Now. Yep. <laughs> <You do. laughs> I still have the shirt, um, uh, and I, I also have I think the home shirt from that year, just the blue and white stripes, uh, you know, umbro umbro shirts. So who was your favorite player in that era then, uh, Josh? When you've got, you've got quite a good uh, choice there as well to, to to pick from. Yeah, from that era, um, I guess I I mean I've always liked uh, uh, goal scorers and sort of uh, skill players, um, and so I quite liked uh, Imre Baradi uh, from that time. Um, uh, it was that was not I would say a, a kind of really skillful team. It was kind of a blood and guts, you know, real Yorkshire. Uh, uh, Howard Wilkinson team. Um, so I, I liked him. I liked Mel Sterland. Um, uh, and then, I don't know, some of my favorite players going on from there later, obviously. I was a big Chris Waddle fan. Um, uh, uh, Carbone, I really loved uh, watching him play. Um, and now, I don't know, probably I, I would uh, I'd kind of put Forrest Jerry in that role. So I'm I'm curious uh, if we can shift our focus back to the United States here. And you you live down in West Virginia, uh, which is a state the borders mine. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that West Virginia might be the biggest mystery of any of of Ohio's <laughs> neighbors. Uh, I think it, it's I, I wish you can you tell me more about the culture down in West Virginia? M- more <laughs> more is it. Uh, Getting to, to know football, you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, well, so I've been here about um, nine years. Um, I moved here um, to take a job uh, at West Virginia University um, in Morgantown, which is about a little south, uh, about an hour south of Pittsburgh. Um, and so, the part of the state I'm in um, is is kind of like. Uh, uh, you know, Southern Ohio or Western Pennsylvania. It's kind of a, a it's sort of a Rust Belt area, um, but uh, doesn't take long to you know as you leave town to get into kind of the heart of of Appalachia. And so, for people who are not familiar with the region, uh, you know, kind of uh, very uh, 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 sort of I don't know, lots of lots of kind of uh, Hills and valleys, should we say? It's a kind of uh, you know the the kind of mountainous region, uh, uh, the uh, the Appalachian Mountains that cut through the state. Um, lots of haulers with small communities isolated all over the place. 
um, historically a coal mining area that, uh, um, uh, you know, that's fallen on hard times. Like, you know, again, I, I know in the past you guys have done the, the Pittsburgh uh, Sheffield comparison. Um, so I don't know where that, you know, where that puts uh, West Virginia, but but we are sort of part of that same kind of uh, depressed ex-industrial area. Um, really beautiful area in those parts of the state that have not been devastated by coal mining. Um, uh, so it's a, it's a really interesting place to live, especially these days. Um, West Virginia has been in the news a lot uh, because of uh, its... Uh, economic problems, it's uh, uh, opioid epidemic, um, it's uh, enthusiastic support for the current resident of the White House. <laughs> so what's the what's the football cul- culture like then? Uh, football, so soccer. soccer. Yeah, soccer, yeah. Because, well, because yeah, college, so for, college football is big. Yeah, the only thing I know about the football culture there is they like couches on fire. Yes, yeah. they absolutely do, yeah. So it's a big football school and and the life of our, you know, I live in basically a, a little bubble, a college town. Um, and so much of the life of the town and life of the school revolves around the American football calendar. Um, but uh, uh, actually, the, the, the WVU women's team is one of the strongest in the country. Um, and so women's soccer has a big presence uh, here. Uh, uh, men's uh, soccer is also a good program. Um, and uh, certainly my kids play youth soccer, and youth soccer is very well developed here as well. Um, because it's a college town, it's probably a bit unrepresentative. We have people coming from all over the world. So, you know, my, my kid's soccer coach is Trinidadian, for example. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it, it's probably more of a hotbed of soccer than other parts of the state. I feel like um, during your description of Morgantown, uh, Josh, you were giving James a lot of ammo for his uh, comparisons to UK towns there. Uh-huh. It wasn't a very happy uh-huh. story. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's again, it's uh, we're lucky in Morgantown because it's really centered on the university and it's a pretty, pretty prosperous place. But West Virginia as a whole has has struggled. Um, and uh, and I think it does. You know, it's a story that is familiar to people in in Yorkshire or, you know, other, other parts of Northern England that saw industry fall apart in the eighties and years after that. Speaking of struggles, what are your thoughts on, uh, the Wednesday season so far? Um, maybe because, you know, I was cursed with being a Wednesday night from a young age. I'm not, you know, I, I, I've developed, <laughs> developed a lot of cynicism, so I'm not, a uh, I'm not that hopeful about the season. I mean, it's been inconsistent, obviously, um, but I'm I'm bothered, I think, by the fact that we don't seem to have, I'd say, a plan B, um, or I think really it's hard to kind of identify a real fighting spirit in the side. Um, and that's something I've worried about in the past couple of years is that we've rarely risen to the occasion when we've had big matches. Uh, and uh, I don't know that I would necessarily just blame that on on Carlos um, or even on just individual players, but but uh, you get the sense that sort of there's things have not gelled completely, and and so I'm I have a feeling that by the end of the season we might be uh, 
sort of pushing towards the playoff spots, but I'm not convinced it's going to happen this year. Right. So, so I'm always curious from uh, from other fans' standpoints what what the game day routine is like for you. So, I know in college towns, especially college football towns, mm-hmm. there's a, a the city's kind of buzzing from the beginning of the morning to the end uh, of the day. So I'm, I'm curious what the, the atmosphere is like on a Saturday when we have a match and then on a weekday as well. Sure. Um, well, uh, on, uh, on a Saturday I get up early with my kids and, uh, you know, my, my wife is kind enough to, you know, to, to sort of make us pancakes. And so, we uh, we set up iFollow. I, I used to try. I used to experiment with getting the the audio and video feeds lined up, and then finally gave up on that. Oh um, yeah, that's, that's that's a rocky road to go down, that Josh. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Many an hours spent in Legends trying to sync the audio and video together, not successfully. Yeah. It can sometimes be a fun, surreal experience, either to hear something really exciting happen when there's nothing going on on the screen, or vice versa. Um, but, Why is it uh, so hard though? Why is it so hard to work out? And we can't even I work know. out sometimes whether the, if the video is ahead of the sound, it takes about five of us to work out what, what we should pause. We could pause the video or the sound. I mean, this is like early on in the game too. We haven't had drunk at the moment, but it's just it's like rocket scientists couldn't work it out to sync it on time. Yeah, no, it's very very frustrating. Um, but anyway, you know, we 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 ended up just sticking with the video, and you know, my my boys who are now uh, nine and thirteen. Um, they will put on their Wednesday shirts, um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just sort of gather around the TV and, and be glued to it and, and eat pancakes. Um, and then usually kind of, you know, spend half the match, you know, muttering and cursing at the screen. And then if things go well, suddenly jumping up and down <laughs> with joy, you know, so it's a, sort of kind of a, a constant emotional swing, uh, back and forth, um, and then, you know, the nice thing is that it's, uh, you know, it's done early in the day and then you can go out and and take in, a, you know, uh, an American college town on game day. How great is it for those kids that they're going to be watching, that can watch Wednesday every week? I say great. I mean, I'd like to do some kind of psychological <laughs> kind of test under them afterwards. How it affects them. <laughs> no, it's I mean, unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I mean, I, you know, I remember as a, as a kid, that that you were lucky if there was a you know a first division table printed in the newspaper uh, uh, two weeks after matches had been played, uh, and then you know you sort of had gradual steps where you got more and more coverage, more and more information. Um, I remember at one point signing up for an email service in the early days where they would send you results the day after the match, uh, and then. You know, these progressive steps, I remember, especially when my my, my kids were very little, uh, I would set them up in a cot and we would just listen to the, you know, BBC Radio Sheffield feed. So uh, they really did get it from, from day one. Um, and now, yeah, and now the, and now it's it's unremarkable to watch that's, Wednesday every match. That's great. I really hope that your kids uh, grow up to be healthy and uh, happy. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might have a unique use case here where your children have grown up from literally from birth listening or watching Sheffy Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's yeah, great. No, no, I think, and, and uh, yeah, we'll see, we'll see what kind of permanent damage has been done. <laughs> well, there's clearly no help for any of us on this podcast, Josh. Right, but, right, uh, right. But thanks for coming on and talking Wednesday with us. 
Hey, thank you very much. Cheers, Josh. Take care. time for dispatches from American soccer and we head back out to Louisville and our Ohio Owl to recap the USL final Louisville one Swope Park Rangers nil Evan your emotional state oh I was I was over the top over the moon I I was so excited Uh, especially with the way the match went it was kind of a it was a fairly boring match you know, Louisville had some chances early on. Swope came out in the second half, looked like they were going to score, and never did. And then finally, Cameron Lancaster scored on a header. And so it, it was great. It, it was awesome to see, uh, especially after, you know, soccer just hasn't really gone my way the last three years or so with Wednesday and with, with Columbus crew as well. So it was great. Um, it's cool to see some of the Wednesday connections. You know, a couple of them were a stretch. I know that. Um, Lizzie Seedhouse was in attendance. She's a big Owls fan from Sheffield. She lives down in Tampa. She's the um, communications director, or digital comm director for the league. Um, of course, James O'Connor, the, the the manager of Louisville, he won the championship. So it was great to see a Sheffield Wednesday boy uh, get a trophy here in the United States. And then Lancaster, who scored for Louisville, actually made his professional debut against Sheffield Wednesday. So. Uh, that's the that's the one that's a bit of a stretch, but uh, a couple of house connections there in the final, and um, very happy for the club. Evan, did I read somewhere that uh, James O'Connor is the only player to win uh, to win the USL Cup as a player and a manager or something like that? I'm making that up. Uh, I've I've not seen that, but it's quite possible. I think he played he might have played for Orlando City when they were in USL. Um, so yeah, I think that's quite possible. I will say, watching it. Uh... It was sort of like, you know, you have that button. Like, if you're playing this podcast right now and you're in a little bit of a hurry, you can speed it up to, like, 1.5x on your phone through the app. It was kind of like watching a League 2 match played at, like, one and a half speed. Yeah. yeah the no, first it, half was it's crazy. Tough. It's tough, though. I mean, I mean uh, I'm definitely a European soccer fan. I, I, I like Wednesday. I watch Wednesday all the time. I watch Premier League and... and when I watch Louisville City, I know what I'm watching, right? I understand that I'm not watching top quality soccer, but there's there's so much behind, uh, so so much passion behind the club and and the fans are just yeah, they love it, uh, they absolutely love it, and it's good for the United States. It's good for the growth of soccer. Uh, you know, it was on cable television, uh, and that's a, a League Two basically championship final that was on broadcast or excuse me cable television. And, um, you know, they, they had 14,000 fans there. It's just a, it's a big deal, and it's big for the growth of soccer here. So uh, I, I understand the quality's poor, but it's fun to watch. And at the end of the day, uh, it's still it's still soccer. And you got yeah, 15,000 fans all standing the whole way through, all going mental the whole way through, even through the second half, which was very poor to watch. But they were uh, they were there. It was, it was a, a baseball park they were playing in, which looked like it had been... Uh, laid down some green rugs on the floor beforehand, uh, but I mean, they were just the fans were amazing. They were just constantly uh, singing and shouting the entire time. I mean, when the, when the stadium's surrounded by uh, distilleries, though, you can't really uh, fault them for that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it was, uh, 
It was a good atmosphere by the looks of it. It's like going. Can to we make a special like... mention for that pitch, Paddy? Because it was. Um, it didn't just look like there were some rugs kind of laid down on it. It looked like someone had kind of meandered in off one of the adjacent farms with a tractor and kind of mowed a great big curve from the goal line all the way across to the uh, the touchline. I mean, it literally it's... is a baseball field, James. So they have to like fill in the dirt with something. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it didn't it's... look like they made much of an effort. It's actually awful because they they have dirt on the infield normally, and they just put like turf. Um, artificial turf over the dirt parts so they have natural grass on most of the pitch and then there are sections of it that has artificial turf and so it's incredibly weird and and there's definitely a home field advantage for a team that uh, that plays there all the time against a team that has never ever played there so uh it is definitely odd and and louisville's working on a stadium uh, for for a couple years down the road paul we mentioned the managers already or at least one of them but it was a bit of a study in contrast on the sidelines. Yeah, I th- <laughs> yeah it's, it was very funny if, if anybody watched it. But um, you've got the, you've got James O'Connor, the little scrappy midfielder as we remember him, um, with his with his Adidas jacket on that looked like he borrowed it from his dad. It was so big, and um, <laughs> in his little scrappy Irish way. And then you'd cut to the uh, the Swope Park manager. Nikola Popinov or whatever his name is trying to look like Zidane at the Bernabeu like with his little Wagner-esque glasses on and his like proper double-breasted jacket looking all super suave it was uh, it was a sight to behold really because if if you actually look back into that guy's history he only put the jacket on at the, uh, probably halfway through the season and decided to change his image so it did make me laugh it was like a 10 bob Mourinho it was it was Talking about Salvador Dali as well, he had a, he had a big spiel about Salvador right. Dali. Yeah, how he, he got passion from Salvador Dali. And he tried to instill that in his players, and I'm like, oh my god, mate, you're playing like the League Two of U.S. soccer. I mean, chill out. Yeah, I, I, lost, I was thinking so. more dime store uh, Andres Villas Boas myself, but <laughs> yeah, I'll do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that's the best cross cultural analogy we've had yet on this podcast. That's beautiful, Jack. Dime store AVB. Perfect. Can we just talk briefly about James O'Connor's hair while we're talking about fashion? Because um, I sort of remember, maybe I've got this completely wrong, I remember him as a dashing midfielder with a flock of uh, gorgeous ginger locks when he was uh, he was <laughs> crashing about in the midfield for Wednesday. And um, he, he looked like he was wearing uh, he sort of like an entire tub of brill cream on uh, on Monday night in uh, in the midst of, of that game. And it was... You know it was. Uh, it sort of looked like the worst stylized 1990s haircut to go with his oversized jacket that you could possibly imagine. I know exactly what it was, James. It was 99p from Superdrug Wet Look Gel. You know the green stuff? That it was oh, just basically... sure, I had that when I was like 14, yeah. It, it was that exact product. I can, I can spot it a mile off. So I used to wear it on my curly hair when I was like 15 years old. And you don't want Wet Look Gel and curly hair. I realized that 10 years later. Uh, but that's exactly what I was using, that kind of green slime that was literally like you, you paid a pound and you got a vat of it, and you can just slap it on your head and then spike your little uh, hair. It was absolutely it was brilliant, wearing. wasn't it? You kind of stuffed your hand into the tub, came out with something that looked like it was kind of nuclear uh, nuclear byproduct, and then uh, and then it kind of it set literally in like concrete like spikes all over your uh, your noggin, didn't it? It was brilliant. Yeah, can't get it nowadays. It costs you like three hundred pound a bit. This seems like a good point to mercifully move on to actual Wednesday matches. The international break is over, and we have a twofer this week once again. We continue our tour of cosmopolitan British locations with Bristol City and Ipswich. James, as our tour guide, what can you tell us about Bristol? 
Ah, Bristol, England. It sounds uh, it sounds British, doesn't it? Um, well, unsurprisingly, really, because it's in Britain. Um, I'm gonna. I'm not even gonna try and be nice. I think I've I've kind of settled into a groove now, which says that I'm I'm gonna highlight all the things that I find distasteful about um, about towns back home. And um, and the bad news is Bristol's a town I actually quite quite heavily dislike. So uh, so that's a good place to start. Um, and I, I'm principally dislike it because I think I've only been twice, and both times. I drank some exceptionally strong cider, which uh, which gave me a horrendous hangover the following day. Um, cider, by the way, for for you Americans, doesn't mean the apple juice that you call cider. Uh, it means the hard cider that you. Uh, you why, why do you call it hard cider? I haven't really understood that. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the Bristolians in the southwest of England is is kind of famous for its uh, its scrumpy, which is uh, particularly uh, pungent cider, which doesn't taste particularly nice. It's exceptionally alcoholic and. Uh, and people spend time in uh, in Bristol drinking lots of it. The only other thing that really goes on in Bristol is they talk funny. Um, so I mentioned that Birmingham's got probably the most offensive accent in Britain last last week or two weeks ago. Well, we didn't do anything last week, did we? Um, Bristol, a penetrable agro accent, which uh, which nobody really particularly uh, takes much notice of. So if you come from Bristol, it's it's sort of like a, a bit of a uh, a, a kind of anchor around your neck before you even get going in life in the UK. Um, it has got a few nice areas. James, could you give us a little bit of a taste of a Bristol accent? Um, oh, oh, all right, my lover. It's uh, uh, no. Uh, that's about as far as I'll go. Uh, they they call everyone me lover, and I never never really understood that either. So uh, they're very very familiar. Um, so the only, only other thing to say about Bristol is I, I don't know if um, anyone remembers their uh, their sort of high school geography lessons. I don't think people teach geography in the US, uh, from from what I can understand. But but what I remember being in in the equivalent of high school in England is you were taught that somewhere around uh, the 18th, 19th century, uh, the, the kind of the ports on the west side of, uh, of Britain were thriving. Um, and as the 20th century dawned, they uh, they all closed down and all the ports shifted to the east side of England. Uh, trade basically stopped with America and it shifted to Europe. So uh, that's pretty much the end of Bristol. So Bristol was a port on the uh, on the southwest coast of Britain, did a lot of trade with the US. Um, and as uh, as kind of the European project got going, uh, Bristol took out, uh, Bristol lost out and the east coast took over. So not much has gone on since then. Uh, it had a, a pretty... Uh, bleak time in the 1960s. It was one of the last uh, cities to uh, to sort of adopt equal rights for for its population. Had a very uh, very dark time uh, so a period in 1963 known as the um, the Bristol bu- bus boycott, as a result of the fact that they still had racially segregated public transport, which is a still a slur on the uh, the name of that city. Um, and uh, and really, there's not much else gone on since, um, apart from the fact that they've got Dyson on their doorstep. Uh, so if you're a big fan of uh, exceptionally efficient Hoovers um, and uh, and the Brexit-loving CEO James Dyson. That's uh, that's Bristol. Uh, it's basically a rugby town. They uh, they I, like the uh, the egg chasing game as opposed to the round football game. And they've got two clubs which have been pretty un- unsuccessful over the past uh, well forever really. So uh, we get to play Bristol City, who uh, who are probably the more successful of the two in uh, in the weekend. And they are currently. Can I just go ahead, Jeff? Can I just just add? There's actually an interesting angle that James has completely missed which is music and um if anyone's a fan of trip hop um <laughs> brizzle as it's known to the locals is the home of massive attack tricky and very famously portishead which is a very small piece of land between chemical works on the estuary but that's where the band portishead are from as well and also as is uh, as is massive attack and the guy from massive attack is banksy if you know i knew that I yeah, well, is he? Oh, is he? Are you breaking, he is Banksy. breaking news on the uh, I am outing podcast. the guy from Massive Attack as Banksy, so there you go. 
We're not meant to be complimentary or interesting here. This is this is meant to be just a character assassination of, uh, <laughs> of a Bristol, provincial town. I should Bristol mention is Bristol, beautiful, this is by the way. actually a very important match since Bristol City currently sits in fourth, <laughs> seven points ahead of Wednesday. Uh, they've actually had a really great season, haven't they, so yeah. far? Um, I mean, I, I think if you know, we, I mean, we've we've said this for each of the last couple of seasons, and uh, and there's a notable exception across the city in Sheffield. But you know, teams who you would not have said were going to be up there or thereabouts by this stage of the year uh, have have surprised us. And this year, one of those surprises is Bristol City. Um, you know, they they've been quietly building over the last couple of years. Lee Johnson is a, an excellent young manager and has, has really kind of infused them with a a pretty aggressive style. They've um, They've got some great players. I think Wednesday were, were interested in Aidan Flint over the summer, allegedly, um, and he's had a, a very good season. He's you know, obviously playing playing very well in defence, but but turning in with goals as well. And, and some of those, we, we can't talk about Bristol without talking about those incredible gifts um, that they, <laughs> they show they, every time they score. High quality social media. Absolutely, this is twenty million impressions or something crazy like yeah. that. I mean, it's uh, it's insane. It's kind of taken on a life itself. But but yeah, they're having a, an amazing city, uh, amazing season and. And Saturday's actually, you know, for a home game back at Hillsborough, coming off the high of the win at Villa, is going to be a really tough challenge for Wednesday. Um, you know, they've um, they've they've gone and got some great results already this season, and uh, and and we can't take that game with with anything other than the seriousness it deserves. Moving week continues with Ipswich at midweek, currently one point ahead of Wednesday with the game in hand. But all I know about Ipswich, James, is they're called the Tractor Boys. That's about all you need to know, to yeah. be honest, Jeff. I've, I've got to be honest. My uh, my research didn't uh, didn't extend very far when I was I was looking at Ipswich because it's just so inherently boring. Um, I, have, I have to say, the Old Farm Derby is one of the better names for a match in sports. But it's not even a derby. I mean, it's between <laughs> Ipswich and Norwich. So uh, so Norwich is <laughs> large know, large tracks miles, large tracks of land, though, James. <laughs> Well, in in British terms, yes, but not in American terms. I mean, um, basically everywhere east of the M1 is is pretty barren in England. Um, so there's this kind of large bulbous mass known as Norfolk and Suffolk, which uh, which sticks out to the east of England, which is pretty flat. It's very agricultural. There's not much going on, and the only two things that seem to happen are, are Ipswich and, uh, and Norwich, and they play each other twice a season and, and get all het up about it. But no one really goes there unless they absolutely have to. Um, Ipswich, though, is actually one of the oldest towns in England. Uh, it's uh, it's constantly trying to lay claim to being the oldest, and I think it, it occasionally gets a few kind of challenges from various places. But it goes back to the Roman era. Um, and, and I think that was the last time that anyone was particularly interested in being in Ipswich, to be perfectly honest. Um, it's uh, it's very hard to get to. And I know a lot of fans are, are actually pretty put out about the fact that it's an away game on a Wednesday night in uh, in the middle of November uh, for, for the fans who obviously have got a very, very difficult trip, if it, if they can even make it at all from Sheffield. I don't think even some of the trains run back at that time of night back back north. Um so it's it's not a particularly illuminating place to be. They constantly try and uh, persuade everybody that they're a city, uh, but they uh, they sort of pathetically fail at gaining city status, mostly because they don't have a cathedral, which apparently is something you need in England to be known as a city. It's right in the name um, too. It's Ipswich Town FC. Exactly, very very given away by the name of the club. Um, but the club itself, you know, most people will be familiar with Ipswich. They've been a stalwart of the Championship for a long time. Um, they've obviously got a you know a, a venerable history in, in English football. Um, <laughs> In uh, in European football, and, and they gave us Bobby Robson as well. So that we've, there's a few things to be thankful for for Ipswich, um, and that those are probably all of them that I've covered in about 20 seconds of time there. Um, and also they have Mick McCartos as well as their manager, uh, which so, is yeah, uh, you can expect a notable. tough match against a well organised side. That's about all we can say positive about it. <laughs> yeah. 
My dad used to play football with uh, Mick McCarthy, and uh, he said that he's a prized twat in his actual words. <laughs> do we have any? That is all I've got to say on Mick McCarthy. Do we have he's any a prized twat with longevity. Is he the longest serving manager in the championship now? I mean, he has to be, yeah. He's been there Damning for like 20 years. Praise, yeah. I'm looking through his, I'm looking through their team right now, and it is so like middle of the road. How on earth? Are they above us with a game in hand? It's just, just dire. Well, they seem to have a, a lot of guys that can score. I mean, that Martin Waghorn, I think he's scored eight or nine this year. He's he's close to the top in goals, and then um, a couple a couple other forwards. I think McGoldrick and maybe Morris or, or Garner have scored five and four, and uh, they have another guy with five goals, a couple with with one, a defender with two. So. Uh, they, they can put the ball in the net. I think they're very they're bit balanced and spread out. The thing is with the, these uh, teams like Ipswich and Bristol, they ha- they'll have a good spurt. And I think Bristol did something very similar last season where they started off really, really well and then just nosedived towards the end of the season. I feel like both Ipswich and Bristol have started off well and, and then I think for the rest of the season they'll they'll do a nosedive, hopefully at least, like say, because... Uh, so, I, I would agree with you, Paddy, except for the fact you said exactly the same thing about Reading and Huddersfield last year. Um, so you, you've you've got sort of a bit of a track mixed track record. Where are Huddersfield now? Huddersfield, <laughs> <laughs> who are they? Um, but yeah, I, th- I think you've got a point, Jeff. I mean, you know, Ipswich. It, to be fair, they've always had a reasonably good youth system, um, and I think that 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 side with you know with a bit of experience with players like Vaguan, with some some good young players who are familiar with but they've you know they, they've they've turned out a decent enough side but mostly a middle of the road championship side for the last few years um they, again they've had a good start yeah so we i mean the, the, on paper they should be two two games we'd expect to win but they're they're like every other game in the championship they're going to be tough and we're going to have to grind out results yeah if you bring this back to wednesday season um and if you think about the the sort of the the inconsistency of of what's brought us to this point but the high of of beating villa just before the break yeah we've we've got to be hoping for for what is the norm for under carlos which is we come out of the break with with a you know a positive attitude we grind out those results and we start to go on a run and and you know win these two games uh, and and all of a sudden wednesday maybe a back in playoff contention in in a more serious way than we've perhaps given credit to this season so far can you imagine being an Ipswich Town fan? I mean, they've been in the Championship since God knows when. They've had the longest reigning manager. They don't they never go up, they never go down. You're just always in either a relegation battle or your mid-table mediocrity. I mean, God almighty, I'd rather do what Wednesday have done, go up and down everybody's season. It's just, just dire. Why would you continue supporting this club? Well, apparently there's not much else to do out there. True. If you've got tractors or Mick McCarthy, what would you go for? It's kind of like living in the middle of Ohio, just to bring this to a head. Uh, so, so I reckon <laughs> Ipswich is kind of like Bluffton, Ohio. That was just somewhere I picked out in the middle of uh, middle of nowhere. Great. Have you ever been to Bluffton, Ohio? I've never been to any of the places that I describe as being uh, matching towns in America. Evan, I'm, I'm giving myself a road trip in a few years' time. Hey, well, we'll keep my keep my town's name out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Good God! Tell you what, Evan, I really, I really hope that that Louisville never win anything again because you've gone <laughs> really narky. Wednesday, will try to pick up six points this week, bouncing off their success at Villa. So, how do we 
fancy them setting up tactically? What is the midfield setup going to look like? Is Kieran Lee fit? I saw a lot of tweets during the uh, England games this week about Kieran Lee not looking out of place at uh, in the England midfield, which might be a little bit optimistic. But I think uh, given the success they had at Villa, you have to go with the same starting midfield four, no? Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, get bands and butts back. That's what it's all about, apparently. Bands and butts. That's right. Let's go butts. <laughs> Abdi's back. Alman oh, Abdi's back. He scored as well. Watch out. Abdi's coming, just to make it all get confusing. Oh, that's right. He did score in the for the under-23s, didn't he? Uh, and when, when's Hutch back? He, he should be back sometime I soon. I thought he had well. hip surgery. I thought yeah, he was on his way back and, and started uh, training with the club. No, he's... No. He was uh, crocked. I think that was the message about a few weeks ago. Then they come out and said, actually, he's crocked. Ah, yeah, I, th- I think Hutch is, Hutch is long-term. I think the, the kind of the recovery that has surprised a few people is Kieran Lee. Um, in that, I think, when he was first ruled out injured for the Villains, suggestions that it was a reoccurrence of his hip, in, hip injury and yeah, a long-term absence. But apparently it wasn't as bad as first feared. So, yeah, he comes back into contention. But... I can't see him displacing Bannon and Butterfield after the last game. Um, and, and frankly, you know, we, we've talked quite a lot about the fact that, that Lee's probably going after Bannon's spot now, um, which means he's going to have to have a real dip of form in order to, to get back into the starting eleven. And, and that's that's a good thing to be talking about, right? I mean, if you've got a player of Kieran Lee's calibre that we're saying maybe can't quite get into the side but is a player to bring off the bench, then you know maybe we're, we're heading into better times. No, I think it's like... Did anybody has anybody heard anything about Hunt as well? Hunt Hunt had an injury, had a scan. Um, is he is he back in contention? Is he training, or is it is it Palmer all the way? Yeah, we're all about Liam Palmer on this podcast now, uh, Paul. Fuck's sake! No, I, I haven't <laughs> even got around to that. I mean, last week I was away for what an hour, and suddenly you're all Liam Palmer fans. I was listening in horror last week in my sick bed. That was when Evan was being being positive. He's uh, he's, he's gone back to type now. So, Evan, what do you think about Liam Palmer as a a starting right midfielder? No. Uh, No, no, no. You devoted a full hour to it last week. See, see, I told you even last week that I don't think he's a starting midfielder. I think he comes in if we're up and and provides some defensive stability and uh, maybe gets forward a little bit at times. But um, I I don't know how you can hate Liam Palmer or be, be so against... Liam Palmer, sure, he's he's not the best player on the squad. I'm not pretending he is. I just think, you know, he, he loves the squad, and if he's playing well, he should definitely get a shot uh, at, at being in the at least as a sub. Listen, hate's a strong word. Okay, I'm not saying I hate him, but the superlatives thrown at our right back for a 25 minute appearance. It's a nice appearance, Billy. Right <laughs> midfield, right midfielder. Yeah, right big, right back playing right midfield. He, he used to be a right midfielder and a centre midfielder too. The superlatives thirteen last week, I wanted to hurl. I was like, what on earth is going on to this podcast? It's crazy. All right, Patty, we'll move into your wheelhouse then. Who are you starting up front? I mean, is that even a question? I mean, it's got to be Rhodes. Rhodes just just is, uh, Jordan Rhodes. Jordan Rhodes and Jordan <laughs> Rhodes' twin brother. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a song there. Um, it's just Jordan Rhodes. Uh, no, of course. Jordan, uh, Jordan Rhodes and uh, Hooper. Uh, they've worked so far. I know Hooper drops back quite deep when they're playing together. But, I mean, it's 2-2 two two for Rhodes. Uh, Hooper's playing well still. And hopefully Hoops can get a goal back on the track for uh, and get back on the, the goal chart as well because he was, uh, what, 7-8 for a while, Hooper? And then uh, had a bit of a dry spell, but hopefully he can uh, get back on. But he's got to start Rhodes and Hooper. It's working really well. 
James, regardless of strategy, they have to get six points this week, right? Yes. Move on. It's it's that simple. I, I mean, the, uh, you know, we we can we can philosophize about formations and we can talk about performances or aspirational performances, but if we grind out two ugly wins and we uh, we have to talk about sort of some some defensive cockups, but some some magic from Gary Hooper, I, I I don't care either way around as long as we get six points out of these games. You know, this this is about getting the season back on track and. You know, much earlier in the season, we would have been thinking about these games as as straightforward wins. Now we're thinking them as as bigger challenges than we anticipated. But yeah, we've we've just got to go and win the buggers. That simple. Is there any other business? If if we do get six points, do you think we'll start singing Carlos's song again? No, no, Paul. Stop it! Don't don't even start singing that song again. I think I'm not, other I'm people. Not gonna... I'm not going to sing it tonight, but I, I really want to. It's okay if other sing people it. sing it. It's think, okay if other it, people yeah. sing it, but I don't want to hear you sing it. <laughs> I think it has to arise organically, much like it did the first time. I think when the belief is back, yeah. when, I, when, I can, when I can believe the words I'm singing, that's when I'll start singing it again. Right. Wow, what a low point to manage to, to arrive on. Um, <laughs> Why don't we just sort of just say that we we're, we're going to enjoy the moment when it comes back organically, right? It, somehow, somehow or other, I've got a sense that that that's going to come back from the cop at some point this year. I don't know why. Um, maybe there's just kind of a, an aspirational hint in my uh, in my romantic nature after having had far too many of these imperial stouts. But yeah, I mean, it, we've gone through a really really bumpy time with Carlos, haven't we? But there was there was just a hint in that Villa game that. He knows somewhere he knows what he's doing, and that maybe a little bit of the conviction that says that he believes in his players, he believes in this squad, is it can come to reality. You know, maybe we've just got to look beyond the end of our noses a little bit and have a little bit of blind faith and uh, and 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 hope. Um, I, I I hope that when I'm back over the holidays, I'm I'm seeing Carlos out of dream on uh, on on a Friday night against Wolves, but we'll wait and see. He still does have that twenty pound note. I've been reliably informed. This has been okay. Epi- <laughs> I was trying to say something profound there. Obviously, it didn't work at this point in the show. <laughs> this has been episode six of the Owls Americast, Sheffield Wednesday opinion with an American accent. You can find us on the internet at owlsamericas.com. You can email the show at owlsamericas at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at owlsamericas. Our podcast intro and bumpers are by fellow Wednesday Ice Reverend and the Makers. Podcast is on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbeam, iTunes, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show, just do what feels right. And wherever you choose to consume Owls Americast, we ask that you rate and review the show. It helps more Wednesdayites find our ramblings. And of course, speaking of ramblings, you can leave the show a voicemail on our dazed and mumbled line at 1401 307 1867. International rates do apply, but you can dial it for free using Google Voice. James is on Twitter, at Manhattan Owl. James, any advice for Wednesdayites heading to Portman Road in midweek? <laughs> Get an early train back. Um, I, I think you, you can only congratulate anybody that's going down midweek. I mean, I know a, a, a fair few friends who are um, you know, regulars at away games, and I think even they're thinking twice about trying to make that, that journey on a Wednesday night. So... Uh, yeah, yeah, get there and don't don't say anything about their lack of city status. 
Paul is on Twitter at the Wednesday. Paul, do you have any songs for us? No. Not yet. Not yet. How about uh, "You're Too Sexy for Your Shirt"? <laughs> <laughs> Evan is on Twitter at Ohio Owl. Evan, can you please, for the love of God, send Patty some of those hangover pills so he doesn't miss a show again and complain about Liam Palmer? I will. I, I haven't been paid to say this, but you got to check out Drinkwell pills. They cure hangovers or even stop them dead in their tracks. Hang, hang on, Evan. This is this is America. Can you continue, please, to talk about the potential side effect risk? <laughs> I've not even had side effects. I don't even know what they are. I'm sure they're in fine print on the b- bottom of the bottle or whatever. Is one of them grumpiness? <laughs> <laughs> Patty is on Twitter at Patty A. Jones for chat about musical acts that wear skinny jeans and at New York Owls for general Wednesday grousing. Patty, where are the meetups slash shirt swaps this weekend? Uh, so in New York, Jeff, we are doing Saturday morning swap shop. Uh, <laughs> Guest appearance on Noel Edmonds. Uh, bring your out of size Sheffield Wednesday shirts to the football factory at 10 a.m. and we can all pose with our bellies hanging out um, while we watch Bristol versus Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, there's also meetups uh, in New Orleans, and I am going to get the details of that because they've changed again. New Orleans will be meeting up at Morning Call, which is on 56 Dreyfus Drive, um, and they are at 9 a.m. Central Time, I believe. That's the only two meetups this week. Um, oh, they are meeting up for Ipswich too, aren't they, McCall's on the Wednesday night, which is very good of them because it's a Wednesday night before Thanksgiving here in America and most people will be with families. But the New Orleans group are going to be partying all the way through Thanksgiving uh, and watching the Ipswich game on November the 22nd. We will not be meeting up, I don't believe, in New York because we're all away. Uh, just a quick note. Thursday, uh, Wednesday before Thanksgiving is normally the time when you're out drinking with friends here in America, Thursday's the day is that's reserved for family. So they, they'll probably have a good time out, out and about in New Orleans. Yes, Wednesday, night, Wednesday night is the traditional meet-up with all your high school friends at the townie bar. And oh, drink yeah. until like, you can't feel feelings anymore. Like boxing, right, every, I every, yeah. everyone's back to, to see their family, so the night before they hang out with the family, oh, they so go hang out like with Christmas friends. Christmas in the UK. When you uh, when you find yourself back at your parents' digs and uh, and you suddenly kind of uh, link up with all your uh, your old uh, school pals the yeah, night before yeah. Christmas, oh, with you. sounds a, yeah. sounds a lot like it, yeah. Local Weatherspoons, Maxpro, shout out. Yeah, exactly. I'll see you there on Christmas Eve, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro, and we'll see you back here after Turkey Day next week. And uh, I guess it's just important for me to, to send a shout-out to some potential future employers. Uh, I think if you guys could, could join me in singing. And in three, two, happy birthday, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, birthday to Happy birthday <laughs> to you. See, there was some singing. <laughs>